dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this morning, Meryl McNally? I am excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. I can still say this morning it's morning my time, and for three more minutes it's morning your time. <laughs> I know. We're approaching noon. <laughs> yes, this is the first time we've ever recorded before noon, I think. Oh, we're usually evening evening chatters. Yeah, but you are about to head out. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to tell people where <laughs> you'll be. You don't want our podcast, you know, listeners to come up to you on the streets of London. <laughs> Yeah, I totally do. I want, listen, challenge to all podcast listeners, please approach me. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would ever recognize me, but I would love to talk to one of our podcast listeners. I am taking the red eye tonight to London. Um, I am, I'm still in the graduate program at Columbia for theater management and producing, and they're taking us over there for a week to study all things West End theater. So I am living the life that is fantastic as you know of course you and i well we met at lawrence university from appleton wisconsin and we both studied abroad in london we both did you know i don't know what was that like four month something like that four month programs in london something like that a year apart we weren't there at the same time right um, I think your year based on the stories was far more adventurous than mine there was a lot of like yeah. you're here not so much money i i cr i crashed a party at a polo match and met prince harry that is sort of the highlight of my london adventures um, no, we didn't do any of that <laughs> yeah other than that i just saw a lot of theater and had a very wild trip to um italy with four of our classmates that that went a little awry at times but other than that I think those were the stories I heard. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The When I was there, there were a lot of celebrities doing West End Theater. It was like a really good time if you wanted to see like, I, I guess it probably always is in London, but um, like we got to meet Holly Hunter. We got to meet Kim Cattrall multiple times. We got to meet Ian McKellen and Kevin Spacey and all sorts of people. Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. There were some really good actors over there at the time we were there. Yeah, same. I saw... Oh, gosh, I saw Kristen Scott Thomas, Ian McKellen. Um, who else did I see? So many people. I saw Benedict Cumberbatch when he was a baby, before he had hit it big, um, in a show with Natasha Richardson that was really stunning. It was directed by Trevor Nunn. Um, I think it was at the Alameda. I think it was Lady by the Sea. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, I saw great theater. It was so fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, enjoy your time there. That will be you. great to revisit. I've been wanting to go back since I haven't been, you know, it's one of those things where if you've been there and especially if you were there for it, cause that was not my first time being there. I'd been there before. And then I was there for three or four months. It's hard to justify going back instead of going somewhere new, if that makes sense. You know, yes. like, yeah, if you're going somewhere, it seems like, well, go somewhere you haven't been before, but I would love to go back there. So um, maybe to play sometime, who knows? Um, anyway, 
let's dive in. Uh, so bef- today we're going to talk about Holocaust. Just kidding. We're not going to talk about Holocaust. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Holocaust ever, I don't think. We're just going to like. Okay, so um, in Zach's defense, he has watched it and is ready to go. And I have watched most of it, but I can't. Like, I'm getting there, guys. But I'm, I'm, I have a mental block on the Holocaust. So we keep we keep finding new things to talk about. <laughs> well, we kind of have a rule, which is whenever something new comes out, we want to, you know, something we can see in the theater, obviously we want to do that. And so that was the last, that happened with the laundromat. And then our last episode, we interviewed Michael Shulman because we could, and I was in New York and we were able to do that in person. Um, And then Little Women came out. And of course we want to talk about that, which is what we actually are talking about today. So someday we will get to Holocaust. I'm going to have to watch it again uh, because I don't remember enough about it. And I just... Oh, re- you know, like getting my mind around rewatching it like twice within six months is. That wasn't that's, very nice of me to do to you. And so, we would have recorded Little Women, like we both saw it opening weekend and we were yep. ready to go. And I'm not kidding you guys, I caught the bubonic plague. And um, it's two weeks later and I, I still have my, my sexy horse voice, but I... <laughs> um, I'm now on the mend, so we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, we 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 will make it happen one way or another. Yes, we did each see it. Um, I think I saw it. I don't. It wasn't. I I can't remember if it came out Christmas Day or what. But I think I saw it the next day, the day after Christmas. And yeah. um, well, we'll get to that. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, Oscar nominations are going to be announced on Monday, which. Probably uh, by the time I get this out, they probably will already be have been announced. Um, but more recently, the Golden Globes aired. Um, Meryl, you didn't watch the whole thing, right? No, I watched. Uh, I watched Ricky Gervais' opening monologue, and then I read. I read about some of the acceptance speeches. I obviously know who won. I, I really would like to watch it. Um, but honestly, Ricky Gervais' opening made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> which was his goal. So he succeeded, I suppose. But yeah, um, I, I will watch it at some point or at least more of the speeches. What do you think about the awards as a whole? Um, Golden Globes is my favorite award ceremony. Um, it's just I the Oscars is so formal and um, all due credit. I actually kind of actively hate what I'm about to say because like, you know, <laughs> They're the underappreciated artists, but like, you know, it's different watching people, you know, or not know, but you like are familiar with instead of like a costume designer and like a sound designer. Like it's a little bit more exciting at the Golden Globes because every category is something that like, you know, like a performance based one. I really don't like that because I don't like to not give the crew their credit but i think other people may understand that too so and the golden globes is looser it's film and tv and especially within the last 10 years with ricky gervais and then tina fey and amy poehler hosting they are a little bit more like it's like the naughty version of the oscars a little bit you know this was my least favorite Golden Globes I think I've ever seen. And a lot of it had to do with Ricky Gervais. He just, um, I've been a fan of his, like I love The Office, I love his other shows. I am a big fan of his previous work. I actually, you know, I know he's somewhat controversial because he says the things you're not supposed to say or whatever. 
I feel like in previous years, that's actually been like really cool to see. And most celebrities, there've been a few who've been offended by something, but most celebrities seem to be on board with it. And like, you know, like take a joke in stride this year, the attitude was, I mean, like he literally told the audience to fuck off like four times throughout the ceremony. And that was just the vibe the whole night was like, I'm better than you. And it was so weird. It was almost just from the opening speech alone, because I'm act, I've actually been a fan of his as well. And I don't, I don't mind the boundary pushing and the, like the, that walking the line of offensive, um, then again, I'm, I'm not part of the group he's targeting. So it's easy for me to say that, but I think, I think the distinction is whether or not you're good natured about it. Like, right. It just seemed very, um, I, I get creating a joke that might come off as hateful. Um, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but there's something about like, he just seemed personally irritated and angry to be there, like beyond his set. Yeah. Yeah. He just had a, it was a very negative energy. Yes. That's yeah. You can come in with a positive energy and still skewer people. And it's not like that. Well, my key difference from previous years was like, you know, what he's previously taken a little bit of flack for is like he really went after Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie the year of, that the tourist was nominated, you know, yeah. and they laughed about that. He really went after Mel Gibson multiple times. But see, that's the thing is he was like aiming it at specific people. Yeah. This he was telling the whole room, fuck you. He, and like I said, he said that to them multiple times. Oh. And he also um, one of the things that kind of amused me as much as it um, annoyed me was, you know, the couple of like Trump supporters that I still know, um, at least, or, you know, haven't blocked yet on social media. Mm -hmm. They were all like after the show, like, oh, I would have watched if I'd known what it was. You know, it was like this Ricky Gervais owns the libs thing where like all of those people who are like, I never watch Holly weird award ceremonies, you know, all of these actors giving each other gold statues and making political speeches. But they were like thrilled with what Ricky Gervais was doing. And first of all, Ricky Gervais, also liberal. So, you know, like, I guess good job, Ricky. Like you got the mega support. I'm sure that's, you know, like what, what were you doing? You know, what was your goal? And second of all, like the idea that he, he said in his speech, you know, just come up here, take your award, say thank you and leave. He said, don't make political speeches. You all know less than Greta Thunberg and, you know, you all this, you all that. So he was saying, like, don't be holier than thou. And his attitude the whole night was holier than thou. And yeah. it just was so strange. And so, I don't know. I think he, I think he really missed the mark. I really do. Like, he just, ugh, not, not a fan. That was the portion of his opening speech where things went awry because um, I don't mind people who who have the opinion that you shouldn't use award ceremonies as a platform for your politics. Um, they're entitled to that opinion. I get it. I don't I don't see the problem with it. If you have a platform, use your platform. And 
that's what actors are doing. You don't have to believe them. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to, you don't have to give it any credence if you don't want to. Like it's not who cares. And right. I think I think that's the biggest thing for me is when he went off about that, it was with such venom. Yep. And um it it was not a joke. Right. It was that, listen, you little twerps, you're, you're meaningless. You think you're important. You're not. Don't get up here and, and bloviate about right. politics. Just take your, what does he say, little statue? Yeah. Yeah. Why, what, what's the point of, I mean, you're there to celebrate filmmaking. Where, where, what's the impetus to put everybody in their place like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah. then again, I am so live and let live. I'm like, everybody do what they want. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there were um, there were a few surprises throughout the night. Actually, one that will get you right off the bat is Meryl Streep lost her award for Big Little Eyes to Patricia Arquette from the act. Now, listen, I love Patricia Arquette. Um, I liked the act. That is a real left field choice because first of all, I actually, I wasn't convinced Meryl was going to win, but I thought she was going to lose to Helena Bonham Carter for the crown. I was real surprised that she lost to Patricia Arquette for the act. The act is kind of like, um, have you seen the act? Have you watched that? I know what it's about. I've read a lot about the, the actual events, but I have not seen the act. No, it's, it's definitely better than a lifetime movie, but it's got that sort of like, that feel yeah it's got that sort of like cheesy it's got really good actors that story i feel like i've listened to multiple podcasts on the gypsy rose blanchard thing i've listened i feel like i've seen at least one other mini series about it i feel like maybe we need to let that story go away for a little while um so i don't know that was one and then she um i i don't know that was uh, a surprise and there were a few other ones but even even um the speeches throughout the night were a little bit disappointing too, because outside of Michelle Williams, nobody really said anything that was um, particularly interesting and said anything that was particularly uh, new. It just felt like, a, you know, thank my agent. This was a fun one. Okay. Bye. And then towards the end of the evening, Renee Zellweger won and Joaquin Phoenix won. And I don't know if you watched either of those speeches, but those were both kind of crazy speeches. Um, they were kind of wild. Yeah. So Renee Zellweger, um, I, you, I, oh man, I'm almost tempted to like say pause and watch it because like her energy was also very strange. And I think it, it approached people as, like she she came across as pretty bitter because she basically was kind of like, it's nice to be back after 17 years. Thanks for letting me back in here with all you people. And I think she meant it in a friendly way, but I think uh, I think it read as a little bit bitter. Like, yeah, remember me, I'm back, you know, kind yeah. of like Joaquin Phoenix was kind of classic Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know what the point of his thing was. Like he just kind of started, he again kind of lectured the room, was like, we need to stop taking our private jets places and we need to do this. And it was, here's another thing that was to me kind of interesting. Uh, they started playing Renee Zellweger off about between one and a half to two minutes into her speech. They let Joaquin Phoenix speak for over three minutes before they started playing him. Bullshit. That drives me bonkers. Yeah. Same. 
Same category, best actress, best actor. What's the difference? I'd love an explanation on that one. Seriously, that just pisses me off. <laughs> I um, yeah, it's fascinating. I will go. I'll watch. I'll watch. I'll watch both of those. Renee Zellweger is notoriously fascinating. She's kooky. She's very kooky, and she only gets kookier. I don't know. I think I mentioned this. I know I mentioned this to you privately, but I might have also said it on the podcast last time. Um, Check out an interview she did with The Hollywood Reporter. They have an awards show podcast. I think it's called Awards Chatter or something like that. And it's a really great show. He interviews everybody. He's had just about everybody on. Um, But his interview with Renee Zellweger is... Is, is something else. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I actually have come to really appreciate Renee Selwicker over the last, that's, I think my favorite performance of the entire year is her performance in, in Judy. And, um, I just like watching her interview. She is not, so, you know, she is not one of the ones who just says the standard. You're supposed to say this line. She, will say something completely out of left field and sometimes it's awesome and sometimes you're left kind of scratching your head and <laughs> oh she's fascinating i love it i would i would like to have like a conversation with her because i think she'd be a fun person to hang out with actually yeah agreed totally I'm did any looking- of the did any of the winners surprise you um looking through that list no i I don't know if I'm so much surprised, but uh, I, I thought it was interesting. Taryn Edgerton won just because just because Rocket Man came out so long ago, and right. a lot of times movies lose momentum, and and campaigns for acting awards lose momentum. Um, yeah. Well, I thought that was interesting, particularly headed into the Oscars. I gotta say, I. I try really hard not to pass judgment on films before I see them. There are a handful that I cannot help it. I, I pass judgment. Um, uh, the Irishman is a recent one. The Joker is another. And the thought of Joaquin Phoenix winning best actor for the Joker just goes all over me, guys. I just can't. I just can't. I can't get on board. Is it, say more about that. Why? Um, you know, I've heard. I've heard the film is um, uh, extraordinarily dark, and and violent in sort of a um, oh, for lack of a better description, in a very sort of masculine way, and I. I've sort of disliked Joaquin Phoenix antics since Walk the Line. Yep. Um, in 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 public, and I just have a hard time with the idea of honoring that kind of filmmaking. And I I do have trouble I do have trouble getting past the content to see the art in it because I find it harmful. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I would I would just prefer it to go to somebody like Taron Edgerton for the Rocket Man, right? Like Elton John, and <laughs> you know, and that's just totally me having a personal preference. Yeah, I I did force myself to watch Joker, and um, yeah, me about it because I feel I am like absolutely in passing judgment without having seen it. 
Well, I didn't enjoy it, but I also don't think uh, I don't think I was supposed to enjoy it. I mean, it's one of those movies that's supposed to like make you feel a little icky and supposed to make you feel. Um, I and in that way, I found it to be effective. I do think it was. Um, I, I'm with you on like it, it's that thing where I don't even really know how to say it except yeah I kind of am over his like big bullshit but it also was a really great performance in a movie that I never want to watch again. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably need to watch it. I just don't want to feel icky. Yeah, it will make you feel icky. It's also like I I can't help but admit that he's like a great actor and I like. He's not somebody who I would ever be interested. Like, I never get excited about him. And yet, like, he's, I don't know. I think it is mostly his, basically that whole shtick when he was, like, you know, trying to appear like a crazy person, you know, like when he went on Letterman. And then we found out it was all this, like, prank. Yeah, you know what? I think that's the other trouble I have is it's, like, guilt by association. I associate him with Casey Affleck. Right. Because Casey was married to his sister, and then there was a. I read interviews. I can't even tell you where, but you know, Casey Affleck had done a film with Rooney Mara and was essentially in love with her, and was not. It was very transparent about it, and um, but then Joaquin Phoenix also Rooney Mara was in her. Okay. And so it was a similar dynamic there, and now Rooney Mara and Joaquin Phoenix are married. I just find the whole thing super bizarre, and I'm passing judgment. Well, Casey Affleck, I think, directed that um, that pseudo documentary about yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, right. and that's actually where a lot of the sexual sexual allegations against Casey Affleck, I think, came from. Was directing that movie. There were like production assistants on that movie. I should fact check all this. <laughs> Because I'm not positive this is correct. But um, I think that's a lot of it. And, you know, that documentary, I also watched that documentary. That documentary really pissed me off. Because, like, it's just a bunch of, like, dudes f***ing with people for no reason. It's like, we are super famous and we're bored and we're going to try to, like, blow up our careers for absolutely no reason. I I don't know. That whole thing bugged me. Um so it's some of it came out of that too. I feel all of that. I don't know. When I look at the other people who were nominated in that same category um, in the drama side of things, it was Christian Bale, uh, uh, Antonio Banderas. I wouldn't mind seeing him win, although I haven't seen that movie. Um, Adam Driver for Marriage Story and Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Actually, if I'm pulling for somebody in that category, it's the longest of long shots, which is Jonathan Price, because he's just one of those people who like has been so great in so many things. And it's cool to see him, you know, up there, finally, you know, nominated for something. I did watch The Two Popes, too, and that movie was fine you know i'd watch him and anthony hopkins like walk around a garden and like tell each other stories any day of the week that that was interesting to me the the film kind of was so so but um yeah (laughs) so moving on to uh oscar nominations um i i just did this thing i spent a lot of time doing this actually so i figured we may as well actually go through it um, there are a lot of Oscar prediction websites. Uh, the one I like best probably is Gold Derby uh, because they kind of take 
a lot of different sources. So instead of like there's the, the staff of Vanity Fair predict and the staff of Rolling Stone predict, this kind of takes one from each. Um, and so there were there were 32 ballots and um, it listed the the major categories. So here are the ones uh, probably up for best picture. According to this, there were four uh, best pictures that appeared on all 32 ballots. The Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story and Parasite. Uh, 1917 appeared on 31 out of those 32. Jojo Rabbit appeared on 30 out of the 32 little women and joker each appeared on 29 out of the 32 so i think those are probably the big um eight and then ford versus ferrari was on 24 ballots so that's maybe likely in that ninth slot and then there's a pretty significant drop off after that the next one was knives out at 13 i don't like i'm sorry knives out is the greatest film of the year i loved it i saw it three times Wow. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. And I think everybody in it is brilliant. Yeah. And I wish it would just win all the awards and I would be very happy. But the Academy Awards doesn't think comedy is a thing. Yeah. I could see it sneaking in there because it's, um, we'll see how things shake out on money. But it, I think it just got nominated in that Producers Guild category, which kind of lends some chances to it. It was up for, you know, best comedy at, um, Right? I think it was up for Best Comedy at the Globes. Yeah. Yes, it was. It, it lost to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, which is another one. There are a couple couple of movies this year that have that everybody is crazy about that I feel so-so. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one, and Hustlers actually is another one that I felt like, eh. <laughs> I liked it. It was fine. Yeah. But it didn't, like, do much for me. Um, just to finish out that list, um, the rest of the ones who got some – Votes, Two Popes got on eight ballots, Bombshell on seven, uh, The Farewell and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood on six, Avengers Endgame was on two ballots, and then the ones rounding out with just one ballot each were Rocketman, Hustlers, The Lighthouse, and The Report. Um, so, I don't know, there are a few uh, lower place ones, including Bombshell and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood that I would rather see than some of the ones at the top. Have we recorded since I saw The Lighthouse? No, I would be curious to hear about The Lighthouse. What'd you think? Oh, my God. Okay, so I have a story for everybody. This is super fun. Um, so my friend Angie is a member of the PGA, and so she invited me to a screening, um, a small screening of it for um, hosted by Eddie Redmayne. And um, there was a reception afterwards with Robert Pattinson. And... Um, uh, who else was there? Oh, Tom Sturgis was also there. Anyway, so I went to see the lighthouse at this tiny screening at this cute hotel in, in New York and uh, got to got to chat with uh, Robert Pattinson a little bit. Nice. After, How was that? Was Willem Dafoe there? He was not. Um, it was just Robert Pattinson. The film is r- really stunning. You nice. know, it's just visually stunning. And, you know, per usual, both of their performances are phenomenal. And um, he's really lovely. I told him he should do theater. <laughs> he said he had a he said he had a bad experience with theater once, so he's never gone back to it. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. 
one bad experience is bad enough, huh? I know, right? Well, I think it was pretty young when it happened, so it left an impression. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but no, it was a super fun experience. I've, um, I've never been to a screening like that before since I'm, you know, obviously not a member of any of the film unions. And uh, um, the, the, I recommend the film to anybody. It's one of the ones I'm most anxious to see that I haven't yet it's very, I mean, it's very dark in content, obviously. And yeah. I mean, to, to give everybody an idea, these two men <laughs> are, um, are essentially not stranded, but they're watching a lighthouse for a month before supplies are supposed to come. So they are alone by themselves on this coast watching this lighthouse and a lot of it's the um it's the same director who did witch and it's just a lot of a lot of mind games you're not sure what reality is and what's in robert pattinson character's head and it's cool i recommend it nice that sounds like it could be theater it sounds like you just need kind of one theatrical and that's why i talked to him about theater because i had just also recently watched um the king on netflix and he plays the Dauphin, and his performance is really brilliant and so theatrical. He's just not afraid to go there. And um, he's such a confident actor. I imagine that you have to be very, not that you don't always have to be, but you have to be very careful about who you cast next to him because they have to be able to go there too. Yeah. Otherwise, there's a stark contrast in the performances that is noticeable. Mm. Yeah. Good. Very interesting actor. Yeah. Nice. Um, since we're on that um, thread of like, go see these smaller movies, I probably don't need to tell anybody about these. But my, I think, favorite two of the year that I've seen were Bombshell and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I thought those were both really oh. lovely films. And both so badly. And similar to you, I don't know how I ended up on this list, but I've been invited to screenings here in the Twin Cities, not like ones where actors are showing up, but it is, uh, I've been invited to, I think, five or six of these, um, which have been really nice because it's free. You don't have to pay to go see the movie, which come on. Um, it's like, it's usually a couple weeks before the movie comes out. And so what they're looking for is they'll send you an email the next day and they want your opinion on things. But the first one that I went to see was, um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, and then they invited me to a few other ones. They invited me to little women actually, before it came out, they invited me to, uh, Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood one. Um, I got invited to just mercy the Jamie Foxx one. And I wasn't able to go to any of those three. I was busy on those nights. And then I in Bombshell, which I was able to go to. So I don't know how I ended up on this list of getting to see these movies, but um, it's been a great way to see these. I hope they continue. Now we're on to, I feel like that might be just, you know, Oscar movies where they're trying to like build a little something. I don't know if that will continue into the, like the, the kind of dead zone that we are at between now and the summer blockbusters. But um, it's been a fun way to see some movies too but those are the two that i've seen that i think were both really great bombshell in particular was just breathtaking um it really is something so um continuing on with the uh, only because i spent so much time like tabulating all this let's do it you know so in the uh best actor 
Joaquim is on all 32 ballots, uh, Adam Driver on 31 out of the 32, and then Leonardo is on 25, Antonio Banderas on 21, and Taron Edgerton on 18. So he's actually maybe going to get that nomination, which I think a lot of people had pegged for Robert De Niro, who's at 11, Eddie Murphy at 10, Jonathan Price at 6, and then Christian Bale and Adam Sandler at 4 each. So, yeah, I don't know. I It's a slightly less inspiring to me best actor bunch if the you know if the final five are joaquin phoenix adam driver leonardo dicaprio antonio banderas and taron edgerton it's fine but there's nothing like yes you know super exciting in there for me too bad um actress we have uh renee zellweger and charlie's theron were both at 32 this one surprised me scarlett johansson is actually only on 28 out of the 32 ballots for marriage story she seemed like another one that was like a virtual lock and she probably is for at least a nomination yeah um and sersha ronan at 22 uh also aquafina at 22 for the farewell so i guess those would be the five um if this uh, aquafina being that high was a little bit surprising actually i know that movie is supposed to be great she's supposed to be great in it um i kind of wondered if cynthia revo who's next at 10 might actually get that fifth slot but um then lupita nyong'o at eight alfrey woodard who i've been a fan of for a long time i would love to see her sneak in there but i think it's a super long shot is at three for a film called clemency that she's in and then two that got one nomination each were emma thompson for late night and jesse buckley for a movie called wild rose which i don't know anything about oh it's about a country singer i keep meaning to watch it i love her i have been following her since she was a baby singer on a reality competition in the UK to be cast as Nancy in Cameron McIntosh's revival of Oliver. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's amazing. I love her. I'm so glad she's having a successful acting career. Um, but yeah, the movie looks spectacular. Yeah. Is it streaming anywhere? Do you know? It is. You can rent it. Yeah. Okay. Um, that Emma Thompson, the late night movie is on, uh, Amazon Prime, if anybody's curious about that one. Emma Thompson's good in that one, but the movie itself is, again, kind of um, uh, not quite as good as she is. It's fine, but it's not. Yeah. It's I don't think it's bad, but it's just, you know, not. Uh, um, moving on, the supporting actor category to me is really interesting. Holy cow. Talk about like this category 10 years ago would have all been lead actor and they're all supporting this year. Uh, at the top, we have Pacino and Pitt at all on all 32 ballots. Tom or uh, Joe Pesci on 31 out of the 32. Tom Hanks on 30 out of the 32, and Anthony Hopkins on 16 out of the 32. So I mean, the supporting actor is Al Pacino, Brad Pitt, Joe Pesci, Tom Hanks, and Anthony Hopkins. That is a stacked supporting actor category. That to me is way more interesting than the lead actor category. Don't you think? Yeah, I do actually. I, it's such a weird year. It is. A weird year. Um, the rest of that category is Song Kong Ho for Parasite, who also has 16. Yeah, so I guess he and Anthony Hopkins could be dueling for that fifth slot. I have heard phenomenal things about Parasite. I have too. That's another one that's up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna see that before uh, the Oscars. Hopefully, we'll get to. Uh, record again before the Oscars actually um, air. It's actually not too much of a turnaround from when they announce the nominations to like when the ceremony is. I forget when it is, but it's early February. So yeah. um, it's it's not as much time as, as some other ones. 
Um, Willem Dafoe is on four of the ballots. Jamie Foxx on two for Just Mercy. And then the ones who get uh, who got one nomination each were Sterling K. Brown for Waves, Shia Poof for Honey Boy. I've actually heard he's quite good in that, but taking him seriously is a stretch for me. And uh, Taki Watiti for uh, Jojo Rabbit. I don't know if I said his name right, but um, last category, and then we can move on, is uh, the supporting actress. The only one on all 32 ballots here is Laura Dern for Marriage Story. She seems maybe likely to win, which is interesting because I think a lot of people had that really pegged for J-Lo, for, for Jennifer Lopez. For Hustlers, and she's dropped down to being on only 28 out of the ballots, um, out of the 32. Margot Robbie at 27 for Bombshell. Florence Pugh for Little Women, uh, 24 of the ballots. And then Scarlett Johansson on 18 for Jojo Rabbit. So if this holds true, she could actually be nominated for lead and supporting this year. She's having a kind of under-the-radar year for somebody who might be nominated for two Academy Awards this year. Oh, she was lovely in Jojo Rabbit. Oh, you did see that one? I did. It's, uh, I think there are sort of two camps, people who really love it and people who find that it um, makes light of the events of World War II. I, I just loved it. I thought it was super charming. It's not pretending to be anything but what it is. Nice. I'm anxious to see it. There are, there are several that I have to get to this year that I'm still excited about. That's one of them. I have to say, I've been putting off Marriage Story. Like, I just can't watch two actors be, like, cruel and miserable to each other. Like, I just can't get excited about that. And I'm sure the movie is quite good. I'm sure the performances are amazing. I just I can't get excited about it for some reason. I have heard that it's less that than it is to well-meaning people trying to navigate a divorce. Okay. Well, now, thank you, because now I'm much more excited to see it. Okay. That's interesting to me. Yeah. That's that's more interesting to me. Where, like, um, because I think it's modeled, um, uh, oh, my gosh, it's Noah Baumbach, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's inspired by his marriage to Jennifer Jason Lee and their split. Sure. And I, um, yeah, so I've read that it's, le- that it's, I think it's been compared to Kramer versus Kramer quite a bit. And people have said that there's a distinction. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause I just, I couldn't watch people be horrible to each other. I um, did. I saw somebody on social media say something that I guess maybe I took too literally of somebody saying they, you know, like started and stopped that movie three times because everybody in it was just awful to each other. And I was like, oh, God. Maybe that, maybe that's true. Maybe sure. I've misinterpreted what I've read. I mean, I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive on, on reviews or, or, you know, articles on it. So I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, the rest of the supporting actress category, and then we can move on to Little Women, is um, Zhao Suzanne from The Farewell is at 17. She's kind of just on the outside looking in. Annette Benning on seven of the ballots. She seemed like somebody who was going to for sure get that nom, and now maybe not. Um, Divine Joy what? Randolph for Dolomite is My Name is at two. She was amazing in that. Sorry, I you said something. Uh, is Annette Benning's potential nomination for the report? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the the ones with only one nomination, and one of these in particular surprised me, was uh, Nicole Kidman for Bombshell, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, because she just won something. She won, I think, the BAFTA or something for Best Supporting Actress. And um, I think 
she didn't get nominated. She was nominated maybe for a Golden Globe. I forget if she was nominated or not. She was nominated, um, I think, in the wrong category. They mistakenly ran her in lead um, instead of. Oh, she was nominated. She was nominated for the Golden Globe. She was up for something else. I think maybe the Screen Actors Guild, and they accidentally ran her in lead instead of supporting. So she didn't get that nomination. But she seems like one who's kind of been sneaking up. And then the other one is Lee Jong-un for Parasite again, who was on one of the ballots. So thanks for sticking with me. It's just because I, you know, I went through it, like went through every ballot and was writing stuff down. So I didn't want that to be for naught. Um, Any surprises in there? Anybody that you're pulling for more so than anybody else? No. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen enough of the the films Uh um, to really... To really get behind anyone, so no, I, and I'm not surprised by any of them either. Yeah. No. How about you? I'm going to pull for Nicole Kidman in uh, Bombshell. I guess it's a repeat of last year because I felt that way about Boy Erased. She didn't get a nomination for that, and I felt like yeah. she was the heart of that whole movie. And she's not the heart of this whole movie. I think it's like all three of them are freaking amazing in Bombshell. But Nicole Kidman just seems to be one of those people who. As much as any like giant star can be, seems to be going the like underappreciated route. Like year in, year in, she's turning in great performances, and everybody, you know, like she gets noticed for them, but she's not picking up much attention at awards season. And maybe it doesn't matter. Like she's got her Oscar, you know, maybe she, it doesn't bother her, but I think they're just so accustomed to her doing good work. It's almost like she, she has to one up herself. Yeah hard to do she's really just pumping out great work and she's working she's she's putting out like two or three movies a year plus a like tv show of some kind you know like she's doing big little eyes now she's about to do another one um you know like there's a lot of stuff oh have you watched any of the morning after show or the morning show not the morning after the morning show the jennifer aniston uh, reese witherspoon one i've watched the first four episodes or so i haven't finished it how are you feeling about that um, I've really enjoyed it. I, I really too. enjoyed it. I, um, I have, to, I just appreciate that they are two ambitious women and they're not always, you know, they're complicated and diverse and they're not good guys or bad guys. They're just, and the performances are amazing too. Billy Crudup is actually amazing in it as well. Yeah. I'm very impressed by him, but I haven't finished it. I'm, I haven't. I haven't either. I think I'm about eight in, and I think there are ten. I'm seven or eight in. But, okay. you know, Jennifer Aniston is another one who I have to say, like, she's somebody who I've always, like, kind of taken for granted in that way. But, like, she's really good in this. She's yeah. really good in this. It's good to see her being able to, like, flex some of her legit acting muscles. She's another one who doesn't, like, people take her for granted because she's so likable and... um. You know, she's an easy target because she was in a lot of movies that didn't do all that well. And so people like to kind of say she's not talented. And I think she's quite talented. And it's good to see her in this kind of role where she lets some of that, let's say, perceived vanity go, you know, and she's like a real person. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's great in it. She's so, I mean, she's so watchable. I think what's fascinating about her is that she's made a lot of, I think what we would call bad movies in that, you know, but they do incredibly well at the box office. 
there's a yeah. massive portion of America that is going to see these, like, you know, the Adam Sandler comedies. And I have, I, I, I actually watched her most recent one with Adam Sandler for Netflix, where it's like the murder mystery one. Yeah. And you know what? I laughed out loud a couple times and I see, I see the draw. I mean, at some point she was, if, if not right now, she was one of the highest paid actresses in Hollywood because she brings in an audience. Yeah. That, that, that's a talent. Yeah, of course. Of course. She's just one who I think, um, people view her as like, oh, she puts out fluff and she's not a real actress kind of thing. Yeah, which I think is nonsense. Right. And I think this is a great opportunity to see her really doing some really excellent work. So, uh, you know, worth a check out. All right. Shall we dive in on Little Women? Do it. All right. I would like, if you're okay with that, I know we'll we'll get to your, I'll, I'll have you do a synopsis, although if you need a synopsis for Little Women, this yeah. podcast is. <laughs> Four women. <laughs> but I'm, I've been curious. Uh, what did you think? Oh, I just freaking loved it to pieces. I just loved it. It's it's not perfect, but I don't know how you do an adaptation of Little Women and make it perfect for people who love Little Women, you know? And it's the closest thing to, it's by far my favorite version. Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, how about you? I loved it as well. Um, I, I thought it was surprising i thought it was it the thing that surprised me most about it actually i'm i'm as anybody who listens to our show knows i'm so performance based you know like it's all about the performance to me this has some of the most gorgeous cinematography i've ever seen in a movie yes it's it's beautiful it is so visually stunning it's like the only thing i can compare it to it's like watching a joanna Gaines home (laughs) <laughs> it's just so pleasant on the eyes, the color palette, the softness of it, yep. the cinematography, the, the costuming, um, the hair and makeup. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really stunning film. I think it's been pretty universally getting just nothing but praise. It is just like checking the boxes for really everybody. It is really... Um, I, so for, you know, a, a small anecdote, again, not to go to social media, but like my former voice teacher from years ago, he posted the other day, Little Women is the best movie I've ever seen, oh. it, meaning the new one. And yeah. then, you know, a couple people responded like, wow, that's really high praise. You mean like this is the best movie ever? And he was like really in, in, emphatically like, yes, this is the best film I have ever, ever seen. Wow. And then he he went to see it again and said, I still think it's the best movie I've ever seen. I've seen a couple other people uh, post similar things, maybe not quite that emphatically, but I mean, it is really, it's just so beautifully told this story. She found a way in and she made, I I'm talking about Greta Gerwig, of course, who, who, you know, did this adaptation and, and directed it. I think she found the perfect balance between being, okay, I shouldn't say authentic to the book because I, I don't know that I've ever actually read the book, but it seems like she she kept the source material and like really honored the source material. Also updated it in 
subtle and not subtle ways um, to make it relevant to today. And the only thing that I think has been throwing people off is I, you know, I always like to read um, a one star review just for fun. And one of the common threads that I've read in the one star reviews is that the timeline, the the non sequential storyline, the jumping around thing threw a couple people off or not a couple threw some people off. And they did not appreciate that aspect to the storytelling here. Um, I could see that to a certain degree, I didn't find myself particularly confused. And I'm also, I, you know, I saw the Winona Ryder version. I saw the old Catherine Hepburn version. Um, but I'm certainly not somebody who's, you know, like married to little women or like could even tell you, I still get the characters names confused a lot. So, you know, <laughs> it's not something that I'm particularly like uh, an expert on this. Um, but I didn't find myself confused, but I could see how somebody who wasn't, completely in on it would if that makes sense i think what i liked about it um setting it up that way is that you know to some extent you know where the characters land so it's less about plot and more about their inner lives and greta gerwig's actually spoken to that in interviews that she when she went back to the book she saw things in the characters and and their journeys that that she didn't remember after having read it, you know, when she was young and seeing the other versions, because the other versions are very plot driven. And there are major plot points in the book that we all know and love if you've if you've read the book and are a fan of the book. So I I think it freed her up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and she still hit those plot points in this version, but uh, the other really beautiful thing about that setup was, I think it, it culminated in um, uh, Beth's sickness because her final sickness and her first sickness match up in the time frame and they're intercut together. And that was really, really beautiful because, um, well, for those of you who don't know Little Women, surely, surely most of you at least generally know, but it's about four sisters. Um, Joe is the oldest is Meg and she's quite proper and, you know, wants to have sort of a more traditional life. And um, her younger sister, Joe, is sort of the in, independent, sort of wild, free thinking tomboy of the group. And she really wants to be a writer and doesn't really understand and can't connect with wanting to get married and have kids and settle down and sort of live a con what she sees as a constricted life. And then um, the, the next sister is Beth. She's very quiet, shy. She loves to play the piano. She's very much a homebody. Um, and then the youngest sister, Amy, who is an artist and sort of stubborn and strong-willed and Lovely. And Beth gets scarlet fever and at, at some point and it weakens her heart and eventually it takes her life. But Beth's death is such a major part of Little Women. Can you guys hear the wild construction behind me? I'm very sorry if you can. They're, they're building an apartment. I don't think you can get through a single version of Little Women going back to the Catherine Hepburn version where Beth's death doesn't hit you so hard. 
It's just brutal. It's so sad. You're like a weeping mess. And I think Greta Gerwig concept of interweaving sort of starting starting in, in the later part of the story and then doing flashbacks is that you experience Beth's death and it is gut-wrenching and I was weeping in the theater along with everybody else. You should have heard the sniffles. It was ridiculous. Um, but then you you almost immediately get to see her alive and young and youthful and okay. And it yeah, sort of it, eases the burden of that, which is right. really lovely. Yeah, right after she dies, doesn't it cut to the wedding scene? Isn't that the juxtaposition? Yeah. So, did you find the, let's say in other, you know, uh, versions of this movie, because yep. I mean, this movie, the first version of this movie, I think was over 100 years ago. They made a, a movie of this version in 1918. Um, I have not seen that one. It's before the it's before the Catherine Hepburn one, which I think I don't have this in front of me, but I think that was like 1933, something like that. Um, and so anyway, uh, this movie has been remade a whole bunch. Uh, you know, let's go with the most recent one or not even the most recent because it actually was done just a couple of years ago. Again, just on a smaller scale one. Um, we were just talking about uh, Catherine Newton from Big Little Eyes. She played Reese Witherspoon's daughter and okay. she did. She was oh, in. A, yeah, I saw that. The one for the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, Maya Hawke was maybe yeah. in that one too. Yeah. Um, so this has, you know, been remade a whole bunch of times. But let's let's go with the 94 Winona Ryder version. So yeah. Winona Ryder, Claire Danes, and then a very young, like, Kirsten Dunst. The, the girls were pretty spread out in terms of age. Here they were a little bit, like, closer to each other. You know, like, it seemed like within a span of 10 years or so. So quite a bit of time passes in Little Women. And I think one of the biggest challenges in casting is how do you deal with Amy? So the others are old enough that you can get away with casting the same actress. But Amy is a little bit challenging because she goes from being the youngest, she's still in school, to, you know, growing up and going to Europe and marrying Laurie. So she takes, she sort of takes the biggest age arc. And traditionally before the Winona Ryder film, they've just cast the same actor as Amy. In the, in the Alice in June one, it's Elizabeth Taylor. And they kind of give her ringlets and pantaloons, you know, to try and make her look younger. And the actresses typically act younger. And, and then, you know, eventually they dress them up in pretty gowns. Um, the, the Winona Ryder one was interesting in that they decided to cast two actresses. So Kristen Dunst played Amy Young and then Samantha Mathis came in and played her, um, older. And the way the screenplay was set up, enough time has passed that you switch actresses and it's fairly natural. It's, it's okay. It's not, it's not offensive. Um, and Kristen Dunst couldn't have done it. She was a little girl. Right. Um, I think there are bonuses. There are pros and cons to both approaches. You want the continuity of the performance of a single actress for sure. And I think, um, uh, I'm sorry, the actress's name who plays it in the new one. Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh is just fucking brilliant. I would never cast her as Amy. If somebody said, hey, we're casting Florence Pugh as Amy in Little Women, which Greta Gerwig did. I was like, what? Because Florence Pugh has that like really low 
adult voice mm-hmm. and sort of a gravitas as a performer that I just like I couldn't get my head around her playing somebody so young and me believing it. And my God, she's good. She is so freaking good. I she was my favorite performance of the film. Interesting. I adored her. She had um and the whole film has this. All the performances have it. They have a lightness to them and a freedom to them that sort of captures I think it captures how we are in real life that doesn't always come across in film because people are aware they're on camera. Actors are performing, you know? Yeah. And this just had a freedom to it that was so, so lovely. She was so funny and charming and moving. And so that was my long rant about Amy. Okay. My, um, I, I dislike so much that my uh, temptation is to like go into the couple of things that I wasn't as crazy about instead of, but you know what? I love this movie. I love this movie. So I'm just going to say, okay. One of the things that I wasn't crazy about in this adaptation um, was, I guess we should say the typical like spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Um, Although I think relatively mild little women has been done enough. I don't think there's like anything so new in this one that would be a surprise to you. I already told you Beth died. So (laughs) that is a big one. Um, As is the case in the other versions. um, So Lori uh, Mm -hmm. played by Timothy Chalamet, who honestly, I wasn't crazy about him in this. I wasn't, I just think he well, first of all, he looks so very young in this that it seemed like him against uh, Sarasha, who doesn't look old but looks older than him. Like I don't know, I just found that to be a little bit. I don't know. He he he, and he played it so young too. I did like the scene. The actually his most effective scene, if you ask me, was the scene where he was drunk and making a scene, and um, yeah. Amy tells him like you're being a jackass, basically. But so Laurie spends the movie, you know being in love with either from afar or, you know, finally telling her to her face, Joe, the Saoirse Ronan character. And she rejects him. And um, he pivots to Amy, who is about to be engaged to somebody else and blows off that engagement to be with him. Even though um, she says to me, what is one of the the great lines, which is, you know, something along the lines of, I don't want to be, you know, the, the second choice. I don't want to be, because you can't be with Joe. I don't want you to just, you know, I don't want to be anybody's fallback basically. And they go from that to like two scenes later, seeming like the happiest couple in the world. And I didn't feel like there was maybe enough there to like, that could have been a smoother in order for me to buy that they actually were like happy and in love. And that's the way it should be because then Joe's fallback, she kind of transitions or like, you know, really quickly to that guy, um, that, that other teacher that she met who shows up at their house and, um, all of a sudden she's all in on him and they're like helping her with that. I don't know. I don't know if any of this is making sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. So I think this film did a better job explaining the transition from Joe to Amy than any film before it. Okay. Um, because I, I, but I think, I think what you're zeroing in on is there is a sense that less time has passed. So the Winona Ryder version is interesting. You don't really question the transition because you feel like so much time has passed since Joe has rejected him and he's just wandering around Europe. So you don't 
really question that he's all of a sudden gravitated towards Amy. But also, I think people are so familiar with the story that they don't question it anyway. Right. And but that's that's I, where it comes in for somebody I, like me. Yeah, I think they tried... I think by giving Amy more autonomy and a voice in it and saying, I don't, I don't want to be a second choice. I felt there was, there was just more dynamics there. And I could see how Lori really saw her and fell in love with her. Really saw her for the first time as, as an individual, not as a March sister. So that was there for me. The Frederick Bear storyline was just not developed. Okay. Like she, she, when she moves to New York to be a tutor for those kids, Fred, Professor Bear is sort of her, her lifeline. They develop a true, meaningful friendship. And that is absent from the film. Sure. And it doesn't matter so much because she set up that sort of new construct where, I mean, the inherent irony of Little Women is that you have this lead character who's very independent and, and doesn't understand marriage and doesn't want to get married and wants to be a writer and be self-sufficient. And then it ends in a happy and a traditional happy ending where she marries an older man. Right. And I think Greta Gerwig did a great job of sort of shifting that for a modern audience and and especially with the scenes with Tracy Letts, the the publisher. Yeah. And she's like, but she doesn't marry him. He's like, you've got to write it that way. But I think it contributed to sort of a sense that that ending wasn't true or was cliche rather than building the friendship between them, which was real and meaningful and, and developed into a deep love, which I think is just as modern of a story. I don't, I don't think, I don't think modern women think in terms of choosing between one or the other. Sure. We want to be, I mean, we obviously want to be independent and self-sufficient, but obviously we you know, every I think for the most part, most people want to meet somebody and have a deep, meaningful relationship with them. So I think that was the one piece that was sort of absent for the film for me. Yeah. I would have loved one more scene um, between Lori and Amy, you yeah. know, to kind of show that. And I would have loved one more scene between Joe and what is his name? Uh, Professor Frederick Bear. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have also liked one more scene between Meg and John Brooks. Mm, interesting. Fall in love with him, but they don't interact much. That's true. I don't know that I needed that, actually. But to me, actually, the most interesting story is, well, not the most interesting part of it, but like the Joe um, uh, that you just said. What character are we talking about? Emma Watson's character. What is her name? Meg. Uh, Meg. Yeah. Joe and Meg, like when Meg is getting married, Joe has that like, we can stop this. I can pull the plug on this. I'll support you. I'll, you you know, we can live together. That like, basically, you know, she even says like, I'll support you. Like basically it's just, it's almost like a, like, I will be your husband kind of speech, you know, like in a, in an interesting way. Like there were some plays, you know, there were a lot of people who were pointing out that Joe in this 
version has a lot of sides of masculinity and Lori has a lot of sides of femininity and there's like playing with gender throughout this. Um, And that Meg Joe storyline was, uh, you know, like the whole focus on like sisterly love rather than, um, and familial love rather than romantic love was kind of an interesting take. And this is not the first one to address it at all, of course, but like those lines really were, um, Interesting to me. This, yeah. You know. Oh, God, the dialogue was really amazing. Yeah. And honestly, to get to the person this podcast is about, <laughs> yeah. I adored the the sort of beefed up Aunt March. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think she was, I, I mean, she absolutely served as the truth speaker, right? Right. This is your reality, whether you like it or not. That, but also, like, a, a pretty feminist approach for, you know, this movie takes yeah. place between 1861 and 1868 or something like that. Uh, pretty feminist, uh, pretty progressive, forward-thinking thoughts that she has for the time yeah. period, you know? Like, she really had some uh, interesting material. I would have loved another scene with her, of course. Would have loved more. I but loved her and Bob Odenkirk together. Yep. So great. Bob Odenkirk plays um, uh, Mr. March, their dad, which was a lovely surprise. I didn't look at the cast list really before I went into the film. So when he came home, I was like, oh, it's Bob. (laughs) So great. Um, Speaking of other actors who are fantastic in it, uh, Chris Cooper, who also has a like pretty, pretty heartbreaking arc in the Tom Hanks uh, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, too. Like, he's really, within the last couple of months, turned in two really pretty magnificent performances in these two movies. I just went back and watched Lonesome Dove when I was, like, down for the count when I was sick. I watched Lonesome Dove, which um, is is a family favorite. My dad's a, my dad's a rancher slash cowboy, and it's we watched it. I've read the book. It's amazing. But anyway, he plays this sheriff, July Johnson, in in Lonesome Dove. And he's so young and his performance is so good. And I refreshed my appreciation for Chris Cooper over the holidays between Little Women and Lonesome Dove. Yeah, he's he's great in this. Like that that to me was the the tear jerking storyline was him and Eliza Scanlon, um, you know, and that piano. That was the that was emotional, you know, her love for that piano. I can obviously relate to. And yeah, that was, and their, their scenes were so tender together, you know, really beautiful. I have to say every version of little women, my mom is like a broken record. And she says, Oh, I just love little women. Like I, I don't think there would be a version I don't like, but I just wish I just wish they'd include the beach. They all cut out the beach. <laughs> this they one had the beach. Take Beth to the beach. And I, I took my mom to see this over Christmas um, in New Mexico. And this is the first adaptation of Little Women that includes the seashore. And I thought my mom was going to die from joy. Nice. Um, how about Laura Dern? Speaking of people I could have used a whole lot more of, she was pretty underutilized in this. She was, I, I think that's the hazard of playing Marmy. I think that the, the nice thing about this version is that, you know, 
Marmy, it's hard for Marmy not to be just this magnificent pillar of grace and um, compassion. And I didn't even realize it in past version. She's not a real human being. She is a construct of feminine perfection. Right. And it never occurred to me. Right? Like, it just never occurred to me. And then this version, you see her, you see her, you know, get slightly irritated with her husband and talk to Joe about how she's had to teach herself patience and... She was so real and yes, horribly underutilized. I wanted more. I'm like, you've showed me Marmy as a human being, as a full, you know, fully developed woman. And I want more and you didn't give me enough. And I wish, I want Greta Gerwig to do a director's cut of this film where she doesn't worry about length. Yep. Yep. I'm with you on that. I want it bad. You're exactly right. This could have been an interest. Yeah, I mean, it's not her fault because they're making a movie of Little Women and they need to pump it out in two hours, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, although Laura Dern did get, I think, the best line in the whole movie. Joe says something like, don't you ever get angry? And she says, I'm angry every day. And I love that. Like that. (laughs) I, um, I I have to ask you, did you notice? This is amazing. This is Meryl. We're going back to Meryl Streep here. Um, Meryl Streep in one shot had a gesture. I think she was holding little spectacles in her hand and she was observing, I think it was Joe. And she, she looked at her like side-eyed and, and like gestured at her chin. And it was a Miranda Priestly moment. And I don't think I've seen her do it in any other film, but as Miranda Priestly. Really? Yeah, and I was like, Aunt March is Miranda Priestly. And I, I am very curious whether it was intentional or unintentional on Meryl Streep's part. Well, now we've got our opening question when we interview Meryl Streep. Yeah, I, I really want to know. I want to know if it was just um, sort of in her natural wheelhouse to do that because she was sort of judgmentally observing her niece um yeah or or if she purposefully if she was purposely referencing <laughs> i don't know i'm dead curious yeah no i didn't know i did not notice that gesture but it's a good question yeah um yeah anything else that comes to mind so you were you were a fan of timothy chalamet in this film i i i absolutely was wow. i um Honestly, when casting came out, I had the same. Originally, it was Timothy, it was Sir Sharonin, um, Emma Stone Stone. cast as Meg, and um, obviously Timothy Chalamet was playing Laurie. I I could not get behind Emma Stone as Meg. She just is a Joe to me. Um, So I am very glad. I I am. I'm glad Emma Watson stepped in. Emma Watson. Um, I think it was a scheduling conflict. I don't think it was a casting issue um, right. that took Emma Stone out. And and my guess is she would have been phenomenal. I really trust Greta Gerwig as a director. Um, um, and I, I like the idea of casting against type. I just think it would have been really interesting. It was tricky to me. Uh, Emma Watson was lovely. 
I also, at the time casting came out, questioned the same thing you did. Timothy Chalamet looks so young. Um, but he has a gravi gravitas as an actor and honestly a sex appeal that sort of overrides his youth to me. And I think he's got great chemistry with Sir Sharonin. Um, I, I questioned it a little bit with his dynamic with, with Florence Pugh because she seems older. Uh, but I think the height difference worked out well because Florence Pugh is quite short. It sort of compensated for it. I don't know. I, I loved him. Bottom okay. line is I loved him. I absolutely see what you're talking about. It didn't bother me because I think I had a conversation with my sister about this. When the previous Little Women came out, I was quite young. I was, what is it, 94? Yeah, so I think so. I was, I was only 12. So I was closer to Kirsten Dunst's age. And so watching, watching those actors, for me, they seemed so old, right? Like they were, they were adults and grownups and Christian Bale as Laurie didn't seem young to me at all. They seemed quite old because I was so little. It's interesting to watch this version because I'm in my 30s now and they just all seem like babies, but appropriately so. They're so young in the book. Sure. They're very young. And I can't tell if that's my perspective. Like if I had seen, if I had seen the previous Little Women when I was in my 30s, would they have felt that young? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting, I, it's an interesting perspective. I liked that about Timothy Chalamet because Laurie is so young. He's being tutored to go to college. He's basically a high school student. And um, he's not that far out of, out of school um, when he marries Amy. Sure. Like early yeah, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind for me is that, you know, that time period, it probably would have been uh, more, yeah, he would have been younger. I, I guess what it comes down to for me is I thought this movie was so perfectly cast. I thought all the, all of, is in particular, the four sisters top to bottom, fantastic. Like just wonderful, perfect casting, couldn't have been better. Um, Laura Dern, I loved Meryl. I obviously loved the most of the men too. Timothy Chalamet. I worry about, um, uh, because I think he has been so good in other things in particular, call me by your name. Um, I worry a little bit about his, uh, ability and I hope it doesn't become a crutch in the same way that I feel like it is for people like Ryan Gosling. I'm getting a little bit of the too cool for school vibe, a little bit of the floating by all on charm and not letting what are some genuinely strong acting chops. Um, I felt like he was trying too hard to like be swooning like that guy instead of just like being a real person. Oh, I see that. I do see that. Yeah. I get what you're talking about. Um, yeah, he's a take all the ladies love him, and that was the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd be interested in seeing him go back to theater for a little bit. I think he is, um, especially in interviews, he's quite. I, I think he's quite humble. I think he's quite overwhelmed by the fame, sort of the 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 fame experience. I think 
not overwhelmed in a negative way, um, over, overwhelmed with surprise, I think, and appreciation for his circumstances. And I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see how, how he transitions over time. Um, I, I'd be interested to see him go back to theater uh, for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're, um, yeah, I just love this movie though. And I felt like, I don't think he was a weak link um, necessarily. I just, there were a couple things there that I didn't love. Yeah. Anything else? That's it for the film. Everybody go see it. It's amazing. I highly yeah. recommend it. Meryl Streep's lovely in it, albeit <coughs> a short performance, but definitely worth it. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm loving what she pumped out this year. You know, this is one of the first years that, like, if you think about it, we earlier in the year, we were so excited because we knew 2019 was going to mean Big Little Lies, The Laundromat, and Little Women. And that, yep. you know, and... You know, she's not getting the awards for any of that stuff, but it's been a really great year in terms of the performances she's given. And think about those three performances and how different they are from each other. Think about it's really been quite a year for her. Um, So three completely different projects. I'm super excited to see, you know, next year is the other one that I can never remember. I'm going to look it up real quick. The other one that she shot with... um, with uh, uh, Let Them All Talk is the name of it. The other one with Steven Soderbergh. Oh, the one that she, yeah, that one's already in the can. The one with her and Candace Bergen and Diane Wiest. Okay. Uh, that's out this year and then The Prom. Um, so I think those are probably the, probably just those two this year. But, you know, in particular, uh, we mostly because we don't know anything about this. <laughs> but all we really know is that that's going to be an HBO production. Um, so probably not uh, in theaters. It's probably an HBO. Well, maybe. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, there will be some interesting ones. I'm going to wait before assigning it a spot on my order. I will tell you that it ranks very high in the film category. Um, probably probably middle of the pack in terms of performances, only because of the little screen time that we have. But I'm going to wait until next time um, to kind of assess where exactly in the list just because i want a little bit more time with it do you have a spot in in your order that you're well film wise it's it's way up there at the top i can't give it a number but film wise it's very high up there because i think it's a brilliant beautiful film um performance wise it's is also quite high although it's a small part so i don't think i would put it as high as some of her other performances that i love so i'd have to take a look at my rankings i'll do that Nice. All right. So last time we had as our six degrees, Idris Elba. Did you think of anything? I just reminded you before we started. uh, I know. I never remember who our six degrees person is. I always am like, well, I don't know. I had Um, to listen to the last five minutes of our previous episode, if that helps. I didn't remember either. I had to like go back and just listen to the end. um, I have not solved it, but... He, I, I said before we started recording, I, I'm positive that there's got to be a connection through that hot mess of a fever dream, Cats. Yes. There's actually two that I know of, and there's probably more. Let's see. He's in there with Judy Dench. Has she been anything with Meryl? No. Not that I... She's sure. not a connection. I know. That would be great. Ian you know what we need? We need Judy Dench, Meryl, and Kate Blanchett in a movie together. Oh. Yes, please. Yes, please. Um, okay. 
who all is in that thing? Who is it? Who's the connection in Cats? There is one. There's two. Uh, James Corden was in Into the Woods. Ah. And Taylor Swift, believe it or not, was in The Giver. Was she really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, God, I would not have made that connection. Yeah. Um, The other... (laughs) Of all the people in Cats, Taylor Swift was not the connection to Meryl Streep, I was thinking. <laughs> yep. She was in a Meryl Streep movie. Yeah, I don't think Meryl's in her scene, because I think she was only in one. She, like, plays piano in one scene in The Giver, I think, if I remember correctly. I only watched The Giver one time. But I remember Taylor Swift was in there, because um, I saw this press conference thing that they all did together, and Jeff Bridges was talking about... Um, he and Taylor Swift got together and made music, and I remember th- being jealous of that. I want to make music with... <laughs> Jeff Bridges, you know, I want to sing a song with Jeff Bridges. Anyway, um, the other (laughs) one that I immediately thought of, I'm sure there's plenty with Idris Elba just within the Marvel universe. But the other one that I thought of immediately with um, Idris Elba was he did a guest spot on The Office where he was actually on for several episodes. Really? Yeah, it was before he was like Idris Elba. And um, so Steve Carell, uh, who is in Hope Springs with Meryl is the connection there. Um, yeah, he plays kind of a jerk on The Office, actually. You don't like his character on The Office. I really hated his character on The Office. Not him. <laughs> the performance was great, but just hated the character, you know? Yeah. Did you, uh, do you have anything in mind uh, for the next one, the next Six Degrees actor? Um, let's do Tony Shalhoub. Okay, that's a great one. Yeah, I'm, I say that. I, I binged watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel while I was sick because I have not watched it um, to date. And um, they're in their third season now. And everybody raves about it. I've just never seen it. Um, yeah. And um, Tony Shalhoub is the greatest thing ever. I just adore him. He's the He's highlight fantastic. of the show for me. He's fantastic. And um, you may or may not know, he was born and uh, grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, just a half hour north of where we met and went to school. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, And our last segment is uh, the movies we wish Meryl was in, uh, where we pick a movie randomly and say, I think Meryl should have been in that movie. (laughs) Did you think of anything? Knives Out. There you go. Yeah. Instead of Jamie Lee. Well, I wouldn't replace anybody because everybody's pretty great. But I will say that Knives Out was such a sort of a sleeper hit that the studio, I think they've greenlit, or if they haven't greenlit, they are about to, um, uh, uh, a sequel, for lack of a better word. I think it's just they're sort of creating a universe for Benoit Blanc. Yeah. The detective. And so I would like her to be in a future Benoit Blanc movie. There you go. Yeah. I actually am going the same route. Um, I'm not picking something that's already been made. I actually was thinking about Renee Zellweger earlier this week in that performance in, in Judy, which, as I said, I think is my favorite performance out of all the performances this year. And I'm not necessarily saying her as Judy Garland because um, I don't know, you know, type if that would have worked. But um, one of the things that that started me thinking about was, um, again, Kate Blanchett is rumored i think it's been in development for a long time she's going to be making a biopic hopefully um about lucille ball and um i think at this point meryl might be maybe too old to do that i hate saying that you know but it's probably true right at at least the younger years 
But why not a biopic of the later years of Lucille Ball's life? So in particular, like she she had this sitcom um, in the mid 80s. And it was one of the like it was a huge deal getting Lucille Ball back on television. And it was one of those like whatever network it was just gave her like a really, really great deal. You know, they gave her a ton of money. They gave her like creative control and guaranteed a season would be made. And then the show came out and it was horrible. Um it was like, yeah, John Ritter um, was in it, and um, it was it was kind of a disaster. And I remember seeing this interview with her um, on YouTube at some point. I don't know if it's still up or not, where she was, like, you know, being interviewed by Johnny Carson, and, like, she started to cry about, like, what a disaster it was. And I remember thinking, like, Lucille Ball is somebody who I idolize and, like, just grew up worshiping. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of how it ended for her was this, you know, like trying to, it just didn't work in the eighties. They were trying to like reclaim something that was like from a bygone era. Yeah. And so I don't know. I feel like there's a story in there, not a particularly happy story, but, and you know, yeah. Kate Blanchett is going to do the Lucille ball where she'll, I assume play her as her younger self when she's like, you know, the stuff with her and um, Ricky and all, you know, all of that stuff. But yeah. There's a there's a nugget of an idea in there. Her yeah. as an older Lucille Ball is something. Yeah. So cool. So movies we wish would be made, I guess. I know, right? Um, would listen to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll write that script if you want. Uh, <laughs> so I guess next time we may bite the bullet and do Holocaust. We're gonna do it. We're gonna it's, do it. I have to rewatch it, which does we've not. We've gotta quit making false promises. Yeah. Well, we have nothing else left from the 70s. It's either that or the seduction of Joe Tyne. And those are the only two left in the 70s. Um, All right. Oof. But anyway, well, go see Little Women, everybody. It's yeah. amazing. It's so good. Um, cool. Well, thanks, Meryl. Have fun in Thank London. You. Thank you. I will report back shortly. Yes. Cool. Well, we'll talk to everybody later. Bye. That's all.